Hello, and welcome to the commentary for Lesson 378. This is Isaiah chapters 4 and 5. So it's been a while since I posted. Um, had a lot going on, and just kind of, once I get out of the practice, it's like time just slips by me, and uh, I lose track of time, and I get preoccupied, and, you know, just a normal person, what can I say? Um, but I'm. it's good to be back in the Word, and... Um, not that I haven't been in the Word, but I haven't been in the Word in this way, doing this study. I have a really cool God story to share with you, um, but I want to do, I want to focus on the text before us first, and then if you're interested, that way, I assume that not everybody wants my personal stories. Maybe they just want the facts, that they're literally just here for the Bible, and that that's what attracts them to this study because it's not about me, it's about God and his word. However, I'm also torn because the Bible does clearly tell us that, um, you know, when we have a cool God story that we need to share it, that it's, it's almost that we shouldn't be able to contain ourselves. Um, we should be so excited and expressive to share that with others. So, um, in trying to lead a life that pleases him, I do feel that I should share these things, but I will do it at the end of this lesson. So there was a lot of meat here. I took a couple days actually on this one. And we're again in Isaiah 4. Isaiah 4 was really short. It's a promise of restoration. Um, verse 2 says, but in that day, the branch of the Lord, meaning Judah, some think that this also could mean the Messiah, but... At the time of this writing, their thoughts were about Judah and uh, the people of God and what would happen to them because, remember, God is delivering them into the hands of the enemy, um, the Assyrians. So it says, the branch of the Lord will be glorious, but in that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious. So God is promising them, look, I know that we're going to go through hard times and you're going to be dispersed into enemy territory and things are going to be rough, but I promise you it'll get better. It'll be so much better. The fruit of the land will be the pride and glory of all who, of all who survive in Israel. We remember that God said that he would preserve a portion of the people. Verse 3, all who remain in Zion will be a holy people, those who survived the destruction of Jerusalem and are recorded among the living. The Lord will wash the filth from beautiful Zion and cleanse Jerusalem of its bloodstains with the hot breath of fiery judgment. Then the Lord will provide shade for Mount Zion and all who assemble there. Okay, all who assemble there. Mount Zion, God's holy place. He will provide shade. This is beautiful imagery just to say rest. He will provide rest for them. He will care for them, right? He will provide a canopy of cloud during the day and smoke and flaming fire at night. Okay, now this is symbolic. I wonder if this is to remind them of their deliverance from captivity in Egypt. Remember back in Exodus chapter 13, if we go back there, um, let me just read that to you. 
the Lord, um, verses 21 and 22, it says, The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud, and he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night, and the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. So remember that cloud was how he moved them out of captivity from Egypt. So now he's doing something similar. He's using the cloud by day and the fire at night, but its purpose is a little different. Instead of leading them from place to place, he is bringing them home to him. He's providing a canopy of of cloud. And it says in verse 6, why this difference exists. It will be a shelter from daytime heat. So it's going to be hot. He will shelter them in the shade and a hiding place from storms and rain. Okay. So that's it. It's just an interesting uh, comparison. You can't read that and not be reminded of the Exodus, right? And then in Isaiah 5, Oh, I wanted to read something first from my study Bible about Isaiah chapter 4. Those protected will be set apart to serve God when the Messiah rules the earth. Their distinctive mark will be their holiness, not wealth or prestige. This holiness comes from a sincere desire to obey God's moral standards and from their wholehearted devotion to him. Evil will not always continue as it does now. The time will come when God will put an end to all evil and his faithful followers will share in his glorious reign. I just love that. I thought that was beautiful. wanted to share that with you. Um, But we have a lot more to get to in Isaiah 5. So then he talks about a song about the Lord's vineyard. And of course, as typical, this song is a metaphor for the people of Israel. And it's interesting how he changes perspective, right? He starts out in verses 1 and 2 in third-person narrative. He says his vineyard, right? He's speaking of the God's, God's vineyard, which, of course, is his people. And whenever you hear passages in the Bible talking about grapevines and fruit and vineyards, that's all a metaphor for God and his people, right? The soil has to be rich and fertile. There has to be rain, there has to be sun, there has to be just the remo- just the right amounts of everything. There has to be a caretaker in order for the, f- for the vines to be healthy and in order for the healthy vines to produce good fruit. So, starting in verse 3, though, he shifts gears to first person. Now he's speaking from God, which makes sense because he's a prophet of God. We can be sure that these words from verse 3 came directly from God. It says, Now you people of Jerusalem and Judah, you judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard that I have not already done? When I expected sweet grapes, why did my vineyard give me bitter grapes? Okay, so God had made all the preparations, right? He put just the right just the right amount of sun and rain. The soil was fertile and rich with minerals. They should have produced sweet fruit. And they did produce fruit, but it was not sweet, right? It says later in verse 7, he expected a crop of justice, 
but instead he found oppression. He expected to find righteousness, but instead he heard cries of violence. Okay, so the evidence of God in our lives is the fruit that we produce, right? Now, our we are not made right. We are not saved by our works. But if you are living in Christ and you try to lead a life that pleases God, then your life will produce fruit. It just happens naturally by, because of Christ in you. Now, we know, um, of course, that leads us perfectly to Galatians 5, and 23, where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those are the fruit of the Spirit. That is the fruit that we produce in our lives. People know us. They recognize us by those fruits. And the fruit should be sweet, not bitter. So I think that this is good scripture to remind us not just what, you know, God was upset at his people like, hey, I've done everything for you. This is what I expected. And, and yet you let me down. You're not fulfilling your part of the deal. Of course, we never do, do we? And so then, of course, we go to Judah's guilt and judgment. And I always found this interesting. <laughs> it says, What sorrow for you who buy up house after house and field after field until everyone is evicted and you live alone in the land. But I have heard the Lord of heaven's armies Swear a solemn oath. Many houses will stand deserted. Even beautiful mansions will be empty. Ten acres of vineyard will not produce even six gallons of wine. Ten baskets of seed will yield only one basket of grain. So this tells us times will be so hard that people who have been focusing on all the wrong things, right? They've been focusing on building material wealth, establishing a big and beautiful house, and once that's big and beautiful and full of all good things, and, or all the material things, I should say, then uh, they got to buy more houses, right? So greed takes its hold and it just, it's evidenced by where we spend our resources, right? Of course, having material wealth isn't a sin, but what happens when you're focused on those things Verse 12 says they furnish wine and lovely music for the grand parties, lyre and harp, tambourine and flute. It talks about them drinking alcohol. They are distracted, right? They are consumed by their lifestyle. And verse 12 keys in and says, but they never think about the Lord or notice what he is doing. They've lost sight of God. Verse 13, so my people will go into exile far away because they do not know me doesn't matter who they are, says those who are great and honored will starve and the common people will die of thirst. It basically, it's saying it doesn't matter, rich or poor, um, famous or, or not famous, publicly humiliated or publicly praised, it does not matter. Um, you will all be humbled by the Lord. Verse 20, what sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil, that dark is light and light is dark. Scripture tells us that God knew us before he formed us in the womb, that he, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are all a creation of God. He had a plan for our life at the creation of the earth. 
Um, He knows us intimately. And somehow we decided that it's our place to end the life of a baby in the womb. Um, So much so that they even recently approved a law. I don't remember the exact specifics, but it was very upsetting to see the video of um, the government officials standing up and clapping because they were so excited because a bill was passed or a law was passed that said that that babies could be aborted even after birth. That's murder, right? God created something. It is certainly not our place to murder God's creation. So, and they're disguising it as as a good thing that women should have a right to choose. Well, I just, I don't get it. I don't get it. Okay. Um, even if a baby, even if a woman makes a mistake and sleeps with someone she doesn't want to, or she is raped or whatever, it is not the baby's fault. Right. And God can make good of things that didn't maybe start out in the best of ways. He can make good by that and is not our place. It's not our choice. God has a purpose for all things. So put the baby up for adoption if you're not in a place to raise it. But that is a perfect example of being in a place where evil is good and good is evil. Okay, sort of got on a soapbox there for a little bit. But moving on, verses 21 through 23 talk about the things that these people are doing. It gives specifics. They think they're really smart. They think they know everything. They're bragging about all the alcohol they drink. Like that's something to brag about. Um, Verse 23 says they take bribes to let the wicked go free and punish the innocent. Well, we know that that's very offensive to God. Uh, He cares deeply about how they distribute justice among the people. Now, the verse that I thought was most interesting in chapter 5 is verse 26. Um, We know that God's not happy with his people and that he's going to send in the enemy to oppress his people. Um, Verse 26 says, He will send a signal to distant nations far away and whistle to those at the ends of the earth. They will come racing toward Jerusalem. Now here he's talking about the enemy is going to be activated and their army is going to be strong and fortified and they're going to have their act together. That's what it's talking about in the following verses when it says they will not get tired or stumble. They will not stop for rest or sleep. Not a belt will be loose, not a sandal strap broken. Their arrows will be sharp. Um, Their horses will be ready. Their chariots will be spinning like a whirlwind. They will roar like lions, growling. They will pounce on their victims and carry them off. So God is talking about um, how he's going to activate the enemy to take care of his people and he will take care of justice in his own way. And it's sad, right? Because we've gone from he created these people for a purpose And he did everything to take care of the vineyard, his people, and to prepare them for sweet grapes, but they gave him bitter grapes. And um, then it goes through their guilt and judgment, and this is where they've landed. And we know that this is the cycle, that God allows his people to go through hard times. Um, I just did a paper on that. And yes, he doesn't just allow bad things to happen to good people. He sometimes puts bad things before his people. Um, But he always does it for 
the good of those. And sometimes it's hard to for us to see that because when we're living it and we're going through the through it personally, you know, it's hard to see big picture 25 steps ahead what's going to happen um, because of each event. But we do know that trials have a purpose. I quote this scripture often. It's one of my favorites. James 1 verses 2 and 3. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So, that's what's happening. But here's what's curious to me. If you back up and look at verse 26, it's talking about one thing, right, that's happening during this time. I'm going to read it again. He will send a signal to distant nations far away and whistle to those at the ends of the earth. They will come racing toward Jerusalem. Well, that made me think of end times when I read that. I know that it's out of context because it's talking about how the enemy is going to come to, to Jerusalem. But I wonder if this is a hidden scripture. It could be. Um, God likes to do funny things like that with the word. Um, and maybe a hint to prophecy that will come up in the future. Okay, we know that in end times, God will send a signal to distant nations far away and whistle to those at the ends of the earth, but he will be whistling to the Jewish people, to God's holy people, right? The church. And And they will come racing toward Jerusalem. So it's just interesting that there could be a double meaning and this could be a hint toward things to come. Um, We will see that coming up. I'm not going to get into that too much because we're going to dive into it wholeheartedly um, when we go through Daniel, Ezekiel, Zechariah, and Jeremiah. All of these uh, prophets will talk about the return of the Jewish nation to Israel. And it's interesting, though, I will say, let's think about this timeline. In 1945, World War II ended, and we know that um, World War II was an atrocity and killed many, um, many Jewish people. And in 1948, the U.S. President Harry Truman recognized the state of Israel. And he hearkened back to Cyrus in biblical times who had allowed the people to return to Israel to rebuild the temple. Okay, and so he said, I am Cyrus, which is just interesting. It lets us know that President Harry Truman was familiar with Bible scripture. Um, Either he studied it himself or he consulted with a religious advisor that let him know the history there of King Cyrus and how that happened. Think forward then, in 1950, the Israeli parliament unanimously passed a law of return, which said that every Jew has the right to return to this country as an Ola, O-L-E-H, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but it's a Hebrew word meaning immigrant. So that law has been in place since 1950, and between then and now, We have seen a flood of Jewish people going back to Israel. And then, of course, in 2017, we remember that Trump, President Trump, recognized Jerusalem as Israel's capital and ordered the U.S. Embassy to move. So 
this is all prophecy. This is all um, foretold in the Bible, and it's very interesting, and and uh, I can't say that I understand it completely, but we will go through that, and we will dig through it as we get to those passages in Scripture. Um, also, as we see anti-Semitism rise, you know that this law of return, you know, it, there's a lot of reasons for it. It, it it gives them a safe place, but it also allows them to beef up their army, right? Because Israel has had to be <clears throat> extremely tough to withstand all of the hostility that surrounds them. I mean, if you look at them geographically, they're just a very small area and they're surrounded by enemy territory. So, of course, they have God's protection. God's people do, but... Um, it is interesting to watch Israel and watch what happens in Israel. And uh, I think as we go through scripture later on, Daniel, Ezekiel, Zechariah, and Jeremiah, um, and further along in Isaiah, I think particularly chapter 60 talks about the return of the people of Israel. So it is interesting how verse 26 sort of, I just wonder, you know, if it's hearkening or hinting towards things to come. Um, that does happen in scripture. We've seen that many times. So I just love those little nuggets that we find. So um, I'm going to have to save my God story because I've gone way too long in this lesson. So I'll save that for another time. It'll work later too. So that's it for today. I hope you all have a great day and I will talk to you soon.